This episode is brought to you by The Grinning Goat, Canada's vegan fashion boutique with a storefront in Calgary and an online store that ships across Canada and worldwide. As a Paw and Order podcast listener, you can save 15% on your entire purchase at grinninggoat.ca simply using the code PAW15 at checkout. This is another iRaw podcast. We podcast to make the world a better place for animals. In the Canadian justice system, animals' interests are rarely represented. But the lawyers at Animal Justice fight to give them a voice in court and the political system. This is the Paw and Order podcast. And these are their stories. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 72 of the Pod and Order podcast. I'm your co-host, Camille Labchuk, joined today by Jessica Scott-Reed. Hello, Jess. Hello, Camille. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. I can't say that there's a lot new in my life. Probably a lot of people. <laughs> as much as can be boat. expected, right? That's for sure. But I did. I did. Here's the highlight of my week so far. You guys, You guys can you know, draw your own conclusions from this. I did successfully order N95 masks and KN95 masks this week. So now I feel like I'm very protected against this B117 variant. Yes. Well, that sounds like a win to me, Camille. Very exciting progress you've made this week. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Other than that. (laughs) Yeah. Actually, no, a a Japanese vegan restaurant opened up near me. Oh, that's that's exciting. Yeah, it's called Suchi, T-S-U-C-H-I. And the people who run it are super nice. They've got a bunch of prepared food that you can actually bring home, like you oh. know, like a tofu dish or like a ramen and finish off the prep at home, like add some things to it. Yes, love those. And tiramisu. Wow. So it's, is, is it a, it's exclusively vegan, the restaurant? All vegan. Oh, yeah, 100% plant-based. That. Oh, excellent. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, speaking of vegan restaurants, um, I just got a great dose of vegan and vegan-friendly restaurants here in Winnipeg. We just had our first annual La Vegan Week here in the city uh, as a way to support local restaurants uh, that are catering to vegans in one way or another during this lockdown time. So, of course, here in Winnipeg, we can't go inside restaurants, but we did a lot of um, takeout and delivery throughout the week. There were, It was so wildly popular. Tons of restaurants joined. Lots joined last minute. Some joined halfway through the week, um, either showcasing a new vegan dish or one that they already had on the menu. I got to try all kinds of uh, great new foods. And it was uh, also a fundraiser for a local sanctuary, The Good Place. So it was really, really successful. In the end, the winner of the week was Ruffage Eatery, which is our exclusively vegan restaurant here. Uh, They made a French dip sandwich with (gasps) seitan beef and cashew cheese and an onion dip. It was Phenomenal. Whoa. Okay, now I'm like super jealous. Oh, yeah. It's amazing. It is a revolutionary little restaurant. And speaking of them, during the week, there was also fried chicken week going on. And they were cheeky enough that they entered a vegan fried chicken sandwich in the other competition that week. 
And they ended up winning a judge's prize. So not the top voted prize, but one of the, the chefs they they judge across. And they won like second or third place for best fried chicken sandwich as a vegan restaurant. Wow. Okay. Well, that's that's pretty cool, actually. It's very cool. I thought it was like, how to, how 2021 is this that a vegan dish is winning at fried chicken week? It was, it was really cool to see. So um, me and my buddy, John Rush here, the well-known uh, vegan CF player. Uh, we did a lot of pickup and delivery for each other throughout the week. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later in the show. We're going to have John Rush on talking about being a vegan pro athlete and about what he's doing while there's no CFL football this whole time, uh, how he's advocating for animals in his time off. So stay tuned for that later on. That's so cool. I'm excited. I like John a lot. And actually, the only time I've been to a CFL game or really the only time I've like initiated the process myself <laughs> any professional sports game was to go see John play in Ottawa and cheer on the vegan player. Didn't you have a big sign? Don't I remember a picture of you holding a sign for him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I know. I was a total sports fan for one night because there was a vegan athlete. <laughs> That's. A, I mean, they should really consider this as a strategy just to bring all the vegans out to the game. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. <laughs> well, looking forward to that. And uh, in the meantime, Jess, we're in full swing with the Animal Justice Academy, which started, uh, well, I guess now two weeks ago by the time this episode comes out, but it's been going just incredibly well. We have almost 5,000 people wow. enregistered or enrolled rather in the course. Super active, like Facebook group. Um, obviously, most of the modules are pre-recorded, so people who've enrolled can do them on their own time when they've got a few minutes to watch. But uh, we all meet twice a week for some live modules too, which is super fun. And there's a very active Facebook group and some mass actions mm -hmm. planned as well. Oh, I've so been, I think I've people been enjoying. are enjoying. Yeah, I've heard yeah. so much great feedback too. Like a lot of people sharing their experiences on social media about how much they're enjoying. Um, I loved the module with um, Rob Laidlaw from Zoo Check about the wildlife trade. That's definitely something I need to learn more about. Uh, and just to boost myself, I think I'm in week five, right? My um, my module is in week five discussing how uh, advocates can better use letters to the editor and the opinion section to speak for animals. Super important form of activism because the opinion pages, as I'm sure you'll point out in your presentation, are the <laughs> most read pages of the newspaper. Yes, people do love to have debates about these things and the newspaper is a good place for them to start and to really get people thinking about issues of animals that for a long time have been ignored by mainstream media. Yeah, yeah. It's a super easy form of activism. It's, it's not actually that difficult to get letters published. Very, as as very you know easy, sort yeah. of the formula. Yep. So yeah, that's that's week five on using the media. And uh, yeah, the first week was kind of an intro week where we, we spoke a lot just about some of the fundamentals of animal issues. What's the state of affairs focused on Canada, but with lots of international content, too, because mm -hmm. we've got people from around the world in this course. Yes. I mean, so I think cool. the fact that I think the fact that it's free <laughs> is very, very enticing for people from from all over. So it's really a great way to showcase a lot of the great talent we have here in Canada in terms of animal advocates to the rest of the world. World too. Yeah, and just keep in mind, over 80 instructors sharing their wisdom for free, all in one place. Week two has been about advocating in our communities. So that covers off how to have conversations with friends and family members, what you can do in your workplace, if you're part of a religious institution, just all kinds of amazing forums for, for raising the profile of these issues. So um, if you haven't joined yet and you're interested, it's not too late. You can do the course at your own time. Each week, the, the, you know, the new modules come out, but you can catch 
catch up on the old ones if you'd like to. And we'd love to have you be part of this cool community. So visit animaljusticeacademy.com. And I just need to shout out the amazing Kimberly Carroll, yes. who's our academy director. And just, oh, she just brings so much life and energy and excitement to the academy. And she moderates, you know, most of the sessions and most of the panels. And she's just a breath of fresh air. She has been a very, very busy lady lately. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, if you would like to support Pawn Order as the podcast, we would love if you left us a review. Now, I usually say that we'd love for you to add to our over 100 five-star reviews, but our producer Shannon Milling pointed out to me this morning that we actually now have over 150 five-star reviews. So thank you, listeners. I'm going to read out a recent review. It's from QQtopia, five stars, who says, uh, anyone with a brain or a heart should listen to this podcast. Real, in capital letters, (laughs) smart, well-constructed arguments, discussions, and interviews on urgent animal-related topics. The world needs to hear from people like these. Thank you. That's that's so nice. Great one. Wow. I love that. Thank you very much. Um, And you can also support us on Patreon. You can support us for as little as a dollar a month. Thanks to Laura and Mick, our two new Patreon supporters. We also have new Patreon prize tiers. At the $5 level, you get a mailed card to say thanks, as always. But now you also get a pawn order sticker, too. Woo! $20 gets their choice of an official pawn order mug or t-shirt, which Camille and I both have and are loving. Uh, but we also have t-shirts available for everyone now at uh, shop.animaljustice.ca. And anyone that supports us at $10 a month or more gets a $15 discount from our online store. Absolutely. Now, an exciting announcement, Jess, about our Patreon today. We are planning to do a draw on the next episode for a t-shirt. So we're going to put all the names of our Patreon supporters into a hat or not really a hat, but a randomly uh, (laughs) generating number database, (laughs) whatever you call that thing. (laughs) And we're going to choose somebody to uh, get a free pawn order t-shirt. So if you want that to be you, woo! they are great t-shirts, actually. They are. I love it. Actually, we haven't mentioned this yet, but you are actually wearing your pod order t-shirt when we recorded an episode of the Plant Trainers podcast a that's, couple of days ago. That's right. And I think it'll be on YouTube uh, at some point. So you'll be able to see me in my lovely pod order t-shirt. That's That was a great podcast we did. Yeah. Sometime in February, I think it's coming out. Yes. So Shoshana and Adam with the Plant Trainers. They're amazing. They've got a wealth of information on that show. And we were super excited to join them and have mm-hmm. a conversation. Mm-hmm. So if you want to be like Jess, if you want to be like <laughs> me, or like Peter even... <laughs> If you Sign want. up for the Patreon. Yeah, I don't know. If you want to go there, it's your choice. <laughs> I know he's listening to this and mm-hmm. feeling curmudgeonly about these remarks, but uh, of course that's he is. life, I guess. Of course he that's is. life. <laughs> so if you join our Patreon as a supporter before the next episode comes out, then uh, you'll be entered to win as part of that draw. So check it out. Patreon.com slash paw and order. Okay, well, we're going to get to the interview with John Rush, but first, we've got some news. Yeah, it's been a busy few weeks of of news for animals, hasn't it? As always, as As, always. And we're going to start off. Yeah, well, that's why we're going to start off talking about some of the stuff that you've written in the last couple of weeks. 
Yes, I've been busy. I've been busy. Thankfully, I mean, it's always a good sign. Uh, sometimes it's sad when we get to the story about the trapping of the dog in Winnipeg, but it's always a good sign for me when we talk a lot about animals in the media and that the media is interested in, in animal topics. And the first one, I think, uh, is something that we've not seen in the media discussed ever before uh, that I wrote for Sentient Media about the unwritten rule of animal rescuers, how we don't call the cops. Uh, and in that piece, I was lucky enough to interview Camille about our opinions as rescuers of wild and farmed animals and uh, our relationship with authorities, right? Yeah, and it's an interesting topic. I think that police have come under a lot of scrutiny lately for various reasons. Um, There have been calls to defund the police. And, uh, you know, when we talk about police, we can kind of put the the, the, the broad umbrella of uh, put police under the broad umbrella of different authorities. Uh, But I think a lot of people would say that police have probably too many responsibilities and animal issues may not be an appropriate responsibility for them. Uh, They just may not be equipped to deal with these issues. And as we spoke about on the last episode, there's lots of cases where animals have been injured and police have come and inappropriately killed animals right away. So we spoke about a deer in Lethbridge who was run over by the police. We spoke about a dog in Collingwood. And in your province, just right now, Manitoba, there's an active investigation into, I believe it was an RCMP officer in a northern community accused of running over a dog who was peacefully sitting on the road. So lots of people don't have a lot of trust. Yeah, and and, and it, it's, it even goes beyond that, too. And we're talking about uh, in the article when I discussed the issue, I think it was from 2016, of the livestock truck rollover. And I sort of used this as an example when I was interviewing the various sources in the piece. You know, what would you do in this situation as an animal advocate if you saw a livestock truck rolled over? There wasn't any imminent traffic um, concerns, but there were, you know, say pigs running on the street. Would you call the police or who would you call? And what was your answer, Camille? Yeah, I know. It's it's a tough one. I mean, I, I wouldn't be inclined to call the police. There are obviously legitimate reasons that police need to be involved in situations. But when it comes to animals, I, I think it's fair to say without, you know, disrespecting some individual police officers who may have compassion in yeah. their hearts. But structurally, the force is just not set up to deal well with these issues. It's much more interested structurally and historically in protecting private property. So in the case of the pig truck rollover outside the Fearman's Pork Slaughterhouse 2016, October, uh, you know, the police in that situation acted more as a private security force on behalf mm-hmm. of Fearman's slaughterhouse to hide the pigs from activists and make sure activists couldn't get anywhere near the pigs uh, and that sanctuaries that were offering to rescue and help some of the sick and injured pigs didn't have a chance to do that. Yeah, so I think it's just really reaffirming of the, you know, legal, like you said, structure that uh, has animals as property. And in that case, that's those animals were the property of the slaughterhouse, uh, of, of the company slaughtering them and protecting them in that case was ensuring that they made it to slaughter. Uh, and those pigs that were injured, who were injured, were were not allowed to be released to sanctuary, but were in fact killed on site in front of activists. Um, so it really just is very symbolic of the system within which authorities work, um, that, that position animals as property. And as long as that system exists, um, the police, their mandate is not going to be putting animal welfare, individual animal care first. Yeah, it's an unfortunate uh, reality. And I know as these conversations continue, and I'm really appreciative of all the work that a lot of sectors have done to get us to this point where we're talking about reallocating police budgets and caring for people and distributing social services in different ways. I do hope that animals will be part of that conversation because I think they're an 
important segment too. That's a really good point. All right. Well, another Jess writing news. <laughs> <laughs> There's a, oh, we shouldn't be laughing because it's so sad. There's an yes. awful story yeah, out really, of Winnipeg. Really, really awful story. Really, really horrible. But a, a poor little puppy, a dog named Ruby, who was killed inside a body gripping trap that a farmer had set. Um, I think it was for coyotes. Yeah, allegedly. that's that's what he said. It was on the on the outskirts of his property last month, just outside city, city limits uh, of Winnipeg. And he said it, he said to protect his property from coyotes. Um, the woman was was walking with her dog, Ruby, and the dog got caught in the trap. And for 30 long minutes, um, Kathy Gagnon, she walked as her dog slowly suffered and died in this trap. Um, so in a column I wrote for the Free Press that was published uh, the day of recording today is Wednesday, uh, I discuss with animal justice, with the fur bearers, with the Winnipeg Humane Society, why these purportedly instant kill traps are actually so cruel, inhumane, and dangerous. Because as we're seeing, and as uh, Leslie Fox from the Fur Bearers points out in the article, this is not really the case. They are not instant kill traps. They are slow kill traps. They're very cruel and inhumane in that way. Uh, and here in Manitoba, the rules for these, quote, instant kill traps is that... Um, licensed trappers that use them don't have to ever check them because of this. Uh, so there's no rules about, you know, like sometimes with these leg hold traps and things, there's different hour lengths so that, that they can be left. And these ones, they don't have to be checked ever because they're supposed to kill on, on instant. And, and we're seeing that that's just not the case. Uh, and it's it's an extremely sad story. And I'm glad that advocates are now calling for uh, these traps to be banned. Yeah, they're, they're just Absolutely cruel. And it reminds me of just how um, abysmal the trapping standards are in this country to start with. Mm -hmm. And I think we've spoken about this probably on past episodes, but just a little refresher for our listeners. Uh, trapping is actually... To be technical about it, it's highly regulated. There's provincial wildlife statutes that say where and when you can trap, what types of traps you can use. And so you might think, well, that's probably a good thing, but I don't actually think it has anything to do with making sure animals are treated well. It's, it's more just about sustainable use type arguments. So when you actually look at what traps are allowed to be used in this country, the way we tend to figure that out is there's this facility in Vegreville, Alberta, where trappers do a bunch of research. They basically set out a bunch of traps, put out a bunch of wild animals and then monitor how long it takes them to die oh my god <sighs> yeah it's awful and they've got standards so uh, i haven't looked up the body gripping ones lately i know the leg hold ones much better because i've done some work on that in the context of canada goose mm -hmm. but a leg hold trap will be approved if in 80 percent of the cases at least 80 percent they don't see signs of very serious and painful injuries on the animals who are trapped so that means at in a best case scenario, 20% of the animals in those field tests can suffer broken bones, they can suffer major internal organ damage, they can suffer serious open wounds, um, you know, not to say anything about the predation that they can suffer mm -hmm. when they're left in these like hole traps in the wild. That's just, you know, what the trap does to them. And I think the standards are similar for those body gripping traps that are like crush traps and supposed to kill right away. So if you're somebody who thinks that, well, the government probably has this figured out, trust me, they don't. They mm -hmm. are simply allowing these, these devices to be used with, um, you know, minimal support of research. Well, and as Caitlin Mitchell, um, our Winnipeg-based um, animal justice lawyer, points out in the article that because um, because authorities are dealing with such wide wide areas of of wild areas that uh, that 
overseeing the, the length of time these traps are left or that everyone's following the rules is challenging for authorities to do as it is. Um, here in Manitoba, if you want to use one of these body gripping traps on your property as an unlicensed user, you don't even have to have a license. You are supposed to check the trap every 24 hours. But who's who's checking on the checking? <laughs> who's checking on the checking? And how would you even know if an animal had been in there for 24 hours or not if you're an authority? Like, it's, it's really... Yep. Unless you came one day, saw the animal there, came back 24 hours later and saw the animal still there, like, you wouldn't even know. It's just... It's completely unenforceable. Yes. And I think the general public would, like you said, hope that the government is in charge here. Uh, and in fact, it's it doesn't seem so. No. And I like the point that you made... It's it's easier for a lot of people to be outraged when the victim of a trap like this is a dog. A lot of us have dogs and we feel a lot of empathy and we don't spare as many thoughts for the coyotes, for the beavers, for the muskrats, for all the animals in the in the woods who meet their fate in traps and snares. It's it's a crappy situation. So I, I like that you pointed out that we should mm -hmm. spare a thought for them as well. Yes, because, I mean, as much as we're upset that it's a dog, we have to think about, you know, all the animals that aren't making headlines, the ones that it's actually intended for. Uh, and, and that's just as heartbreaking. Yeah. And on the same topic, why don't we just pivot for a second to a story out of PEI at the end of January, where a woman was out for a walk on her own property, I wow. would say, on her own property and got her leg caught in a trapper's snare. Now, she was luckily able to remove that. Um, oh, and let me just add, because I think it's an important point. There are videos out there on YouTube that show you how to remove mm -hmm. traps, how to remove mm -hmm. snares. It's not intuitive, especially when it comes to those crush traps. Yes. They're very difficult. So if you are if you find yourself in a situation where you need to rescue an animal, check out those videos. Yes, that's a good But this point. woman, yeah, important, very important. Um, this woman was able to remove the snare from her leg, fortunately. But it just goes to show and serves as a reminder that these devices are out there and frankly terrorizing people. Like that's the word for it. Yeah, yeah. The, I think the way that Leslie Fox from Fur Bears described them is landmines, that they are just out there uh, and you don't know that they're there. It happened to a man here in Manitoba this past summer got uh, one of these um, body gripping traps stuck on his foot and he actually had to be uh, cared for by uh, paramedics with it on his foot because he was just hiking in, a, in public land and and, and it got caught. So they're there and they're they're dangerous for everyone. It's just, yeah, it's madness that we accept this. So if you're annoyed about this and you don't think this is okay, contact your MLA, contact your MPP, contact your provincial rep. That's right. Well, speaking of fur farms, there has been so much discussion lately, Jess, about banning fur farms across the country and especially in BC, given the COVID outbreaks that have hit there. And now, well, a couple, a bunch of stuff is happening. There's very active campaigns by BC SPCA, fur bearers, animal justice is involved to convince BC and some other locations to ban fur farms in particular. Uh, the David Suzuki Foundation recently joined that fight and has, has made that public call as well. And now Nathaniel Erskine-Smith, everyone's favorite vegan MP, he has a petition in the House of Commons uh, calling on the government to do just that and ban fur farms across the country. Wouldn't that be something? And it's, I think the, the petition's been quite popular. I've been seeing it shared uh, a lot, right? Yeah, absolutely. And if you haven't signed it yet, we're going to link to it in the show notes. So please do it. It's petition E3096 if you want to just look for it yourself on the parliamentary website. 
But it's important if this petition gets over, I think it's over 500 signatures, which I think it has already surpassed. Yeah, I think it has. Yeah. Then the government actually has to respond to it, which puts them on the spot a little bit. It would be good to hear their position on this. Mm -hmm. It's very clear to me that the federal government has authority to ban fur farms. They could do so very easily if they wanted to. And there's never been a better time or more reasons to take that step. And we're seeing something similar in Sweden, right? They've they've uh, put an end to fur farming, at least for this year. So uh, you can see it's happening in other places. It wouldn't be completely unprecedented. It's cool, actually. It's a very cool time. I met so many European countries have already banned fur farming, and the few that still allow this practice, there's serious discussion about whether it should be allowed. So we're at this moment in time where I think the industry is so contracted at this point. It has lost a lot of political power and authority. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it might be possible to take that step here at home. Wouldn't that be something? Whew, it'd be a big day for Canada. It would, it would. All right. Well, one final news story. This is a story we've we've definitely spoken about before and over the case of, of many years. Yes. It's dragged on forever. Yeah, this is a complex one. What is what is this, the current situation? Well, I won't even pretend I can recite all the complexities, but everyone will remember conservation former conservation officer Bryce Cassavent in BC, who was fired from his job because he refused to, quote, euthanize, i.e. shoot, two yes. baby bear cubs who, um, you know, their mother was already killed and then he was instructed to kill them too after they allegedly raided a home on Vancouver Island. So he refused to do that because he saw no good reason to kill two healthy bear cubs who could be rehabilitated. And he was canned. So he's been, we won't get into all the details because it's quite convoluted. I just don't even know that. Yeah. Yeah. But essentially he uh, disputed his firing with his union and, and through other means. And uh, either the union and his employer, they were were saying that the way it was done um, wasn't appropriate. He was saying he should have been considered under the Police Act as a constable, a special provincial constable. And um, this issue was decided at the BC Court of Appeal. And then his union and the BC government tried to overturn it at the Supreme Court of Canada. So the Supreme Court denied leave for that appeal. So the matter ends. And, uh, you know, I think now at this point, he gets to negotiate a settlement. So congratulations to Bryce. This Mm -hmm. has been like a five, six year saga. Not easy to navigate the legal system. And hats off to him. What a long haul for just doing the right thing. Oh, I know. The system makes it so difficult to show compassion. Mm -hmm. Why is that? Why is that? Good question. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right. Let's get into our main topic. Interview with vegan CFL player John Rush. So we want to welcome to the Paw and Order podcast, my friend, John Rush. He is a Winnipeg Blue Bomber and a vegan and an animal advocate. And now he runs a food blog called Rescue Dog Kitchen. So we have a lot to talk about with John. So welcome. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I'm super excited to be a part of this. Cool. I wish this was a video podcast in a way for our viewers because both Jess and John have their dogs in the background right now, which is really great. (laughs) They're just always here. Yeah. Yeah. But you know what? Check out their Instagrams. You'll get plenty of dog content. That's very true, especially John's. I think John's dogs actually take over his Instagram more than he's there. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty fair. It's basically run by them at this point. No one wants to see me, right? (laughs) It's all about the pups. (laughs) 
yeah. all about the pups. Uh, so I guess to start off, uh, start us off, John. Maybe if there's anybody out there that doesn't know who you are, I feel like you're a pretty prominent figure in the in the vegan world as it is. But for those who don't know you, uh, why don't you give people a little bit more extensive background on who you are and what you do? Yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, as Jess mentioned, my name is John Rush. I'm a vegan professional athlete in Canada. I play for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. We just finished, uh, we didn't play this last season, uh, because of coronavirus, which was unfortunate, but, uh, the season before that, we actually won the great cup, which, uh, is basically the super bowl, but in Canada for anyone that <laughs> isn't from Canada. Um, so, it, you know, I've, I've been very fortunate to be a part of some really uh, amazing football teams, um, that, you know, has allowed me to, you know, have success on the football field and things like that. And, um, but you know, on the outside, I'm, you know, football comes to an end, unfortunately at some point or another. So I'm trying to set myself up for after that at now. And, and that's why I kind of started this vegan food blog because, um, there's just so many people that ask me every day, um, where do you get your protein? What do you eat as a, like a football player? That's a vegan and, and all this stuff. And I'm like, okay, like, I just really want somewhere that I can point people to and just be like, just go look here. Just <laughs> go look at this stuff and, and and kind of you'll you'll figure it out from there um so other than that you know i like like you mentioned i have two giant dogs bone is 150 pounds and bailey is 130 pounds so they're <laughs> yeah, yeah they're full-sized basically humans um they take over my life they i bought i bought a car specifically for them i bought a seven seater so they could fit i bought a california king bed uh, my couch is also especially designed for them uh my my entire life basically revolves around these dogs. So, um, if you've gone to my Instagram, you can kind of tell that my life is my dog. So, uh, that's basically who I am and, <laughs> and what I do in a nutshell. <laughs> well, I love that. And, uh, I bet our listeners would love to know a lot more about what it's like to be one of the very few uh, Canadian vegan professional athletes and, uh, especially how you ended up going plant-based in the first place. What was it that motivated you? Yeah, no, for sure. That's actually, uh, it's, it's kind of an interesting story actually, because, um, I laugh about it now, but I used to be a huge vegan hater. Like I used to, I used to think vegans were like the worst. Um, and honestly, like it was the, it was the classic. I literally had never even met a vegan. Uh, I just thought they were the worst. You know, you see the memes online, you see all that and you kind of just, you just hate on them, right? It's, they're an easy target. It's low hanging fruit. Um, but one year when I was, uh, when I was playing, um, they switched me positions and I was changing from a position where I needed to be a bit heavier to, uh, all of a sudden I need to, I needed to lose 30 pounds in about three months. And that my weight is something I've always like kind of struggled with. I was always, I was a bigger kid. Um, and I just naturally walk around at a pretty heavy weight. I'm like, I'm six foot and I weigh just naturally without basically changing anything in my diet. I weigh 230 pounds. So like I'm naturally just a, you know, a big person. Um, so I was working with my trainer at the time and, and he's just like, John, you've tried every diet, you've gone keto, you, you know, you've, you've tried to intermittent fast, you've cut out sugar, you've done everything basically that like they say to lose weight, like all these fad diets that are like, Oh, these are to lose weight. And he's like, it hasn't worked. <laughs> so he's like, go vegan for a month. <laughs> see, see how it goes. He's like, I'm vegan. And I didn't even know he was vegan at the time, actually, but he's like, I'm vegan. I'll help you through it. If we do everything properly, you'll keep your strength. You'll keep everything. Um, and he's like, he's like, and listen, if at the end of the month, if you haven't lost the weight and you hate it so much, we'll just go back to eating meat. Like it's not the end of the world, but like, at least try it. And I'm like, 
all right, like, tried, like, like I said, I tried everything else. I might as well, you know? So, so I tried it. And in that first week, um, you know, some crazy things started happening. I started, you know, sleeping for like five hours a night where, um, you know, and I'm waking up, like I slept 12 and, you know, I, I still don't understand that. And that, that's gone away now. I still, like, I need like my eight <laughs> hours now, but like, like that first, like the first couple of months I, w- I wasn't sleeping very much, but I was like so refreshed. Um, and then, uh, at workouts, because I was working out in a group setting with a bunch of other CFL players, like I would go to these workouts and all these other CFL players were, you know, complaining about being sore and, and being tired. And they're like, oh man, like I don't want to work out today. I'm like sitting there. I'm like, man, I am not sore at all. Like, am I doing something wrong? Am I not lifting enough weight? But I'm like, I'm lifting weight, more weight than all of these guys. Like it, so it, it just it wasn't adding up. So I'm like, Hey, like maybe these crazy vegans are onto something here. You know what I mean? So, so I was like, let me do a little more research into this. You know, my body was feeling great. I was feeling amazing. The arthritis in my knees, which is always embarrassing to admit, like was going away. Like I was able to squat into my like body some and I'm like, okay, like, so I started doing research and, you know, obviously, um, I'm a huge dog advocate and I've been adopting dogs since I was nine. Um, but then I started kind of learning about other animals and how, you know, pigs are smarter than dogs and how cows have best friends and how, you know, crows, you know, crows is always a weird one, but crows, you know, remember, remember faces and use tools and, and they're actually very intelligent creatures. Um, and then you kind of, you kind of start equating the two where you, if you've ever had a dog, if you ever adopted a dog, anything like that, you know, they have a personality and you know, they feel feelings, you know, they feel fear. If you've ever visited a dog shelter, you understand that these animals feel it's very apparent in their mannerisms. It's not, it's not a difficult concept to understand, but oftentimes we don't translate that to other animals. You know, we've been conditioned not to, but then when I went vegan, I started learning all these things like, oh man, like if pigs are smarter than dogs and I understand what dogs go through in shelters, like that's kind of really fucked up what we do to pigs. Like they know what's happening to them in these slaughterhouses like that. That's like super messed. Like, mm-hmm. and, super and, messed. Yeah. Like super, super messed. messed. That's the way to right? put it. So like, I was like, like we, we probably shouldn't be doing that. Like, I, so you kind of start, when you start like putting the pieces together, mm-hmm. it, it, it started coming together for me. And then, uh, you know, like I said, I was feeling great. I started putting the, the animal thing together. Um, and it's great. It's great for the environment too. Right. And and that was when I first went vegan, it was right around the time where the UN came out with that. Uh, we basically have like 10 or 12 years left to like reverse our course before we, um, destroy the world basically. And, um, and, you know, being vegans, like the single best thing you can do for the environment. So I was like, it's it's been how long now, John, how long, about what was it? Four years? Yeah. It's been over four years now. So, uh, so everything kind of fell together in place there. And, you know, at the end of the month, I was feeling so good and I had lost, I had lost some weight and I was feeling like amazing. I was like, man, like I'd be kind of an asshole if I knew all this stuff. And I went back to eating meat, right? Like that'd be kind of, yeah, kind of an asshole, right? So I was like, I don't think I can eat, eat I can eat meat anymore. Um, so yeah, here we are, four years later. It's it's been a crazy journey, that's for sure. Well, that's so interesting that it was sort of a you know like a trial thing for you, and you loved it, and you kept going, and also that. I think this is a common experience that people have if they give something a try, whether it be veganism or whatever, but especially when you think about just not eating animals, whatever your initial motivation is for doing it. Oftentimes, just because you remove that source of cognitive dissonance, you're able to open your eyes to all these other reasons that what you might have been doing before was maybe not the best thing in the world to be doing. So it's cool that that was your story. And I think, you know, for people who try Veganuary as well, Mm -hmm. that's a common outcome. 
Yeah, I think that you're, it's a really good point that no matter how people start off, if it's a diet or for the environment, it seems like you can't really escape the issue of the ethics of animals. And that tends to be what solidifies people in their way going forward. So since uh, the CFL season was canceled, like you mentioned, John, um, what have you been doing to keep yourself busy? I know you've been really busy uh, advocating for animals, uh, especially dogs, your, your, your first love. So why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about uh, Rescue Dog Kitchen uh, and how you've been filling your time with that? Yeah, no, for sure. I, I, uh, it's funny now because I used to hang out with, uh, when I lived back in Ontario, me and, me and Candace of the Edgy Veg were really good friends and we're so, we were so really great friends, but it's a little bit harder to connect 2000 kilometers away. Um, <laughs> but I would always joke because, you know, she's obviously huge into the food blogging and, and food YouTube and things like that. I was, I'd always joke about, um, hating that side and, and being like, man, like I can never do that. That is so that is so like it's just not my thing you know it's not something i wanted to do uh, i wanted to kind of try and do my own thing where i i talked about you know what i do as a pro athlete and things like that uh, and i still do a lot of that but this off season and it's just been one year and a half off season um i had so much extra free time and i just had so many people messaging me being like you know what do you eat and you know like how do i go vegan and where do i get my protein what are some high protein meals that i was kind of just like how can i combine um doing something for animals and doing something for veganism at the same time um so it kind of just made sense that the food blog came together even though as as much as i like didn't want to do it a couple of years ago it just it really made the complete like it kind of it tied everything in together and, and i really do love cooking i i grew up my mom's italian i grew up in the kitchen with her uh, you know, cooking pasta dinners. And it's probably why I was, you know, pretty big as a kid was like, cause of my, <laughs> my mom would just, we would just sit there and cook for hours. And, you know, I, I do love cooking. Um, and this, it, it's been, it's been a lot of fun. This food blog has been a lot of fun. Um, you know, making these meals and creating these meals and seeing how people, because a lot of my followers come from the football side, they come from the side where, you know, I was a pro athlete. Um, and I do talk about veganism quite a bit on my, my Instagram and, and my YouTube. And, and so it's interesting to see all these, you know, typically, you know, middle-aged to older people commenting on my recipes and being like, I had this last night. It was amazing. I'm so glad, um, you know, I found this recipe and, and it's, it's been a really cool experience to see that, um, it's actually not like the typical, you know, everyone thinks that it's like, you know, the 23 year old female that's going vegan and stuff like that. It's, it's, <laughs> Uh, a lot of like the middle age to like 50 year old uh, women and men that are you know trying plant-based and trying these vegan meals. So it's really cool. Football fans. <laughs> yes. Football fans. That's great. Reaching <laughs> people who wouldn't normally be into the lifestyle just because of your, you know, your background and your past. I love it. That's yeah, great. No, yeah. It's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of fun connecting with them. But also the, the food blog has um, an extra purpose behind it, right? Like there's a, a charitable aspect to it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so through the blog, when people go to the blog, uh, there's ads on it and things like that, just like any, you know, any other food blog out there. Uh, but because I have a full-time job, because I, you know, get revenue from football and other things, I've, uh, decided to donate 50% of the, the ad revenue that I get on the blog, whether that's through like affiliate links or, uh, the ads that are on there and donate that back to, uh, animal shelters, um, Right now we're, we're supporting animal shelters in Winnipeg because that's predominantly where we are. But um, the other 50% of the money ju is just going back into the business so we can kind of help grow it and, you know, reach more people because 
uh, when we reach more people and introduce them to, you know, the plant-based and vegan lifestyle, uh, obviously it helps the animals and then more people see the ads, which generates more money that we can then donate. So it's kind of a, it's kind of a win-win. And then we also have a, a merchandise line on the side where we sell like mugs and tote bags and, and sweaters and things like that. And I've, uh, I've created and developed everything myself. So I only use local artists to design the artwork. All of the, all of the clothing is ethically sourced and sustainably made. So it's either made from organic cotton, recycled cotton, or um, recycled uh, plastic bottles and things like that. So everything, you know, I try, I try to do everything as to the best of my ability and to the best of, you know, that we could, the, the packaging we ship everything out in is compostable. Um, which, which is great for many places like Ontario, but Winnipeg doesn't have a composting program yet. So, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, so yeah. unless you're composting things yourself, it's, it's, you know, you're still kind of throwing them out, but, um, you know, like I, I tried, I try, I'm trying to do everything kind of, um, you know, the right way, uh, for a couple of reasons to one show that, you know, these big corporations like Amazon and, and Walmart and, and all these other corporations, they have the means it, they, they can do this. Like I'm still turning a profit on this and, and the things aren't like, I'm not charging an arm and a leg for the merchandise. Like the crew neck sweater is $55 and that's, and it's cute. It's cute. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Definitely post a link to the sweater and everything else. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Dog. It says yeah. dog hair is my new aesthetic. It's really funny. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so sure like, a lot of our listeners would identify with that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I got sick of everyone telling me that I was covered in dog hair. So I was like, you know what? There you go. Like, <laughs> I'm just wearing it now. <laughs> yeah. Deal with it. Yeah. But so, like, you know, it's, it's like reasonably priced and I'm still able to turn a profit and donate money. Um, and it's just proof that, you know, like, like Zara and Walmart, like I said, like all these stores, they don't have to be doing what they are, what they're doing. They're just doing it out of pure greed. And, and, um, you know, it, it, it's frustrating sometimes uh, as, you know, a, a smaller business owner and seeing that and seeing that they're just kind of destroying the environment and doing these things out of pure greed when they have the means to do better. Um, but, you know, if, if, if everyone kind of took that same route, it, nothing's ever going to change. Right. So it has to start somewhere and that's kind of, you know, it's the same with veganism and it's the same with everything else. So, you know, I, I'm trying to just do everything by the books and, and do everything right. So, you know, hopefully one day we can, you know, change some animals lives, hopefully. Yeah. You got to so do how, the change how, that you want to see in the world. Yeah, how have you exactly. done so far with, uh, with raising money, John, uh, you've been able to raise money for a shelter here in Winnipeg. Yeah. Yeah. So, We've done, we've done pretty good so far. Actually, we, we, in our first six months of operation, our, uh, we had a, almost a hundred thousand page views, which shocked me. I didn't like, I was actually kind of like a little nervous to see how it went because beforehand food blogging and food wasn't really a part of my brand or my Instagram or anything I really did. Um, you know, my Instagram, it's still predominantly dogs and football. And so like, I was kind of like, Oh man, like are people going to, want to see this from me like some you know big i don't want to say meathead but um some <laughs> big broccoli head uh football player like what you know who's gonna make my recipes right um but so like you know to, to have a hundred thousand views in the first um six months was shocking and really really cool to see that like people were interested and people are like really into the recipes i'm creating and and seeing you know a bunch of different people making them from around the world um and it's you know people sharing them we've had a ton of people sharing them we've been able to uh raise over three thousand dollars in our first six months um the first two thousand we've already donated to winnipeg pet rescue 
which is like the oldest non-kill mm-hmm. shelter um, rescue in Winnipeg. It's it's a really amazing rescue here that's been around forever. Um, and we're still, we're still, uh, collecting and, and getting, gathering kind of all the information for the next donation, but, uh, it's already at over altogether over 3000 now. Hooray. So John, <laughs> where do you get your recipe inspiration? You mentioned that you're, you know, you cooked a lot with your mom growing up. And so I'm sure some of it comes from there, but, uh, do you sort of scour, you know, recipe books and take other high protein ideas and put your own spin on them? Do you try to eat high protein? What's your sort of diet philosophy and where do you get your food from? That's that's a really great question. I actually like interesting now to see how much protein I get in because, um, you know, I'm able to track it a bit better now with like all the apps that you can kind of go to. And I use, if anyone's interested, uh, I don't really believe in tracking your calories or counting your macros or anything like that. But if I'm going to, I use an app called chronometer and it shows you, it kind of shows you a breakdown of all your micronutrients, which is what I'm basically most interested in. Um, but I get significantly more protein now than on a vegan diet than I ever did on a meat diet. Um, because you know, I would always on a meat diet, I would always just eat, um, brown rice, a chicken breast, and like maybe a little bit of broccoli, but most of the time, not even the broccoli. So it was just brown rice and chicken. Um, and, there's really not that much protein in it. <laughs> like there's like there's like maybe 30 grams of protein in a in a chicken breast and maybe a couple extra in the brown rice. That's it. Um, <laughs> but now I'm getting it from so many different sources that uh, if you actually tally up what I'm getting in in a day, it's actually you know well over most days I get close to 150 grams of protein. Um, wow. Yeah, yeah, and <laughs> and not really by chance. Like I don't design my meal specifically high protein. I don't, you know, I'm not like, okay, like I need to eat lentils in this meal and chickpeas and black beans and then black bean pasta, you know, like, don't get me wrong. I eat all those things, but, um, I also like enjoy my food and like, I, I kind of design my foods to that so I can enjoy them while I'm eating them. Um, you know, one of the recipes I just posted on my blog is a tofu bolognese recipe and it has 25 grams of protein per serving. And I would eat two servings of it. And (laughs) And it's, you know, I think it's an amazing recipe. It's, it's made with my mom's, uh, pasta sauce recipe that she graciously let let me put on the the blog as well. And it's made with, you know, obviously tofu and it's not designed to be a high protein recipe. It just is high protein. (laughs) Like you can, you can (laughs) eat high protein in vegan and it still tastes great without designing it that way. Um, which is like really interesting. So I, a lot of my inspiration just comes from the foods I used to eat as a non-vegan. Now I'm just trying to veganize them now, basically, mm, you know, like smoothie mm. shakes. Um, my mom's pasta sauce recipe was always vegan, which is amazing. And, uh, it's honestly like, I drink, I like, I just straight up drink the sauce. It's so good. It's <laughs> like, it is like so good. The sauce is unreal. Um, and you know, my mom's, my mom's helped me with a couple of recipes. Now she, she veganized her meatball recipe when she was, when she was last visiting me. Um, obviously it hasn't been like a year now, but <laughs> when she was last <laughs> visiting me, uh, we, we did a bunch of cooking together and, um, she, she's been, she veganized her, uh, meatball recipe a couple years ago. Both my parents are vegan now as well. And she veganized her meatball recipe a couple years ago. Um, and has, has kind of taught me how to do it now. And it, honestly, it, it's, it's unreal. I love that. I love it so much. So, basically where, where my inspiration comes from is just, you know, like things that I grew up with, things I love to eat, 
Um, I'm just turning them vegan and, and figuring out how to make them taste just as good as on a vegan diet without any animal products. Yeah, that's great because there's sometimes this misperception that vegans only eat special things. It's more expensive. It's a complicated mm-hmm. diet. But the reality is like most of my meals and I know from Instagram, most of your guys's meals are, mm-hmm. you know, pretty standard things. It's just like swap out some beans instead of the ground beef, right? It's exactly. So that's cool. So, um, you know, last question, John, before we let you go, uh, your your blog is called Rescue Dog Kitchen, and I know you're really into dog rescue. And I'm yeah. wondering, did you ever have a moment where you sort of realized that rescue was super important and that you wouldn't be going the breeder route when you're, you know, trying to get a dog? Or was that sort of a thing you always grew up with? So that's, uh, it's kind of something that's been ingrained in me for a long time. I somehow managed to convince my parents to let me uh, get a dog when I was nine. I was that classic annoying kid that promised he would take care of the dog and <laughs> obviously uh, did not. <laughs> they're nine and <laughs> they, they, they don't know what to do. Um, but yeah, so I, I somehow convinced my parents to uh, let me, you know, get a dog. And the only, my parents said the only way we're getting a dog is if we're adopting. And I, I when I was nine, I didn't really understand. I was just like, whatever. I don't, I, don't, I just want a dog. I don't know. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, right. So like, it was just like, cool, whatever. I'm getting a dog. I don't care. Um, but then, you know, as, as I had, his name was Hunter as, as I, you know, grew up with Hunter and, you know, learned to, learned all about his personality and, and this, you know, crazy, insane dog that he was that, um, he lived till he was like 15. He was an awesome, he was a black lab. Um, you, you, you kind of understand that these dogs and shelters aren't necessarily there on their own because of anything they did. You know, this Hunter was, Hunter was a wild dog. He, he was a wild boy, but, um, he was the best dog. He was so loyal, loved people would just get super jacked up to see me when, when I got home, when I went away to college, he, uh, would break out of the house and run down the street trying to find me for six months after I moved away to college. Um, and you, you kind of, you, you, you learn about their personalities and you learn about them as, 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 you know, beings, and you're kind of like, man, you're, you weren't there because it was your fault. And, and just like when I adopted bone bone, wasn't there bone, you know, Jess has met bone and, and bone is a great dog. He's super sweet dog. Really sweet. Yeah. Dog. He's, yeah he's sweet. He's, he's well-trained. He was, he's been house trained since I got him. He knows how to, you know, sit, give a paw. He listens. He, you know, he's a very intelligent dog. Um, even if he is uh, defiant sometimes, <laughs> but he, you know, he's a very intelligent dog. And and the reason he was in the shelter was uh, the family before me got him from a breeder and he got too big at six months. Uh, you know, granted he is a ginormous dog and, and it, you know, fair, uh, but don't get a fucking great Pyrenees <laughs> if you don't want a giant dog. Lots like that, of chihuahuas out there, folks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, like, just like use some common sense here. Um, so, and then I, you know, you do research into it and they, and you look at the top 10 reasons dogs are uh, given up and surrendered to shelters and nine times out of 10, if not 10 times out of 10, they're all human error. You know, and people will be like, Oh, like, well, I moved in my new place. Um, my new place doesn't allow dogs. Don't fucking move there. That it's as simple as that. I don't know what to tell you. Like, it's not, it's literally not a difficult concept. Um, you know, there's, there's very few and far between instances where it's like acceptable. 
um, to get a dog and then, you know, surrender it. But you kind of, you kind of realize, and especially in Manitoba where it, we have a legitimate problem, um, in Manitoba with, uh, dogs and, and roaming dog packs where, um, they, they attack people and it's, they're, they're dangerous. And, and the, the communities up North, you know, get paid to kill dogs because they have to call the dogs because they're so dangerous because so many people get dogs from breeders, don't want them anymore. And then just let them loose. So there's a, there's a real, there's a real problem in Manitoba where, um, if some other, you know, I grew up in Ontario where it wasn't as much of an issue. Um, but it's, it's a real problem here. And, and kind of seeing that firsthand, you're like, wow, this is like, this is all stems from people going to breeders that are completely unregulated that can do it in their backyard that there's nothing stopping them from doing this. And they're only doing it for money. They don't care about the dogs. They don't care about the animals. They don't care about the population control. They just want to make money. And, and when you start to learn about this, it becoming such an issue and it's becoming such an issue in Manitoba and it's spreading, um, you know, every year in the States, I think almost 2 million animals are killed in shelters because they have such a, they, they have such an animal problem in the States. And if you've seen the movie, Isle of Dogs by Wes Anderson, uh, it's all about how it's a, it's an animated movie about how um, they had such an overpopulation dog problem in Japan and uh, a dog flu went around and it got transferred to humans and humans started getting sick. So what the government did was they shipped all the dogs off to a garbage island and no one was allowed dogs anymore. Um, and it's kind of very, it, you know, obviously the coronavirus kind of puts this into perspective, but um, you know, the, what we're doing to animals and, you know, how we're treating animals, um, not just dogs, but, you know, I obviously see Jess and, and yourself put post a lot about the mink farms and things like that. And, you know, like I was saying earlier to, to pigs, like the way we can find these animals is not sustainable. And what we're, we need more regulation for all these animals. It just, we, we can't continue down this path path of like treating these animals, like one, they're not beings and two, putting in them into these unsafe conditions that is leading to problems for all of society. It's not just, you know, it's not just the animals that are being affected now as we're in a literal global pandemic because of what we're doing to animals. Yeah. So it's literally affecting the entire world, what we're doing. Um, and it's because of a complete lack of regulations and, and, you know, rules around it. So so, you know, I kind of grew up just seeing, seeing firsthand that these dogs don't need to, you know, like the dogs are not there for their own, their own fault. They're just, you know, humans are stupid, not the dogs. And, uh, so I kind of, I kind of like learned, you know, grew up learning that and, and knowing that. And I'm like, I could never, I could never go to a breeder and, you know, people say, oh yeah, they, but some, some people need certain dogs for, for, you know, jobs and things like that. And okay, sure. But that's like literally such a small subsect of the population. And what are the other 99.9% no. .9 doing? Well, we love on Paw and Order harping on about the fact that dog breeding is unregulated because when you break it down like that, it just becomes apparent why this is such a huge problem. There's just a mismatch between the number of animals that people need and the number of animals that exist. So exactly. we encourage everyone to adopt, not shop. And I love mm -hmm. that uh, Rescue Dog Kitchen 
does the same. Super, super important. And not just to do that, but listeners, if you're concerned about this issue, again, one of the things I like to harp on about, contact your MLA, your provincial (laughs) representative, and tell them if your province doesn't have any dog breeding rules, because most don't, that you would like to see some, because it would make a real difference for a lot of dogs and a lot of people, because we're all connected. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Well, John Rush, thank you so much for coming on Paw and Order. Where can people find you? Yeah. Um, thanks for having me on first and foremost, but uh, you can find me on Instagram. My Instagram handle is at johnrush5. Uh, if you want to follow the food blog instead, uh, lots of good content there. It's at rescue.kitchen. Um, I'm on Twitter at johnrush32. Twitter has tons of dog content. It's great. <laughs> Twitter is where it's at for dog content. So if you're into that, definitely Twitter. Um, I'm also on YouTube. If you're interested in seeing what I eat, I do a lot of what I eat in a day YouTube videos um, just to kind of showcase uh, what I eat, how I work out, how I live my life as a vegan pro athlete. So you can kind of also find me there. And then obviously on our website, which is just uh, kitchen.com. Well, we'll make sure to post all those links in the show notes. So any listeners who want to find John, that's where you can. Awesome. Yes. Thank you so much, John. The animals are lucky to have a passionate advocate like you. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Heroes and Zeros. And now for everyone's favorite part of the show, Heroes and Zeros. Heroes and Zeros. Well done. (laughs) All right. (laughs) So our hero this episode is a, a great grassroots group that's been working very hard for a number of years called Evolve Our Prison Farms. So Evolve Our Prison Farms has just issued uh, a quite lengthy and, you know, impressively written um, report. It's over 100 pages about Canada's proposed prison farm program um, at a couple of Ontario prisons. So it's by Dr. Amy Fitzgerald from the University of Windsor, as well as Dr. Amanda Wilson from the University of Windsor and commissioned by Evolve Our Prison Farms and edited by Calvin Neufeld, who's just great and is doing amazing work. So, um, yeah, the the report examines the fact that the feds want to spend $10 million on this prison farm program in a couple of Ontario prisons in the Kingston region, and why this is just a terrible idea. So it gets into the details of the farm itself, which is just like, it's a Mac. A massive Mm -hmm. factory farm. Um, Over 2,200 goats seem to be on the table and a number of cows as well. The the point is to produce dairy products, Mm -hmm. probably for sale to a company owned uh, by China or someone in China. Mm. Uh, And I've only read the executive summary so far of the report, um, but that really um, kind of explains quite a lot. So it talks about why the impact on people who are incarcerated in these prisons is likely not very helpful. Uh, It could contribute their human rights because they are not able to unionize and they're also paid very, very low wages for their work in this program. It discusses very appropriately the risk of illness posed by factory farms in this day and age. We know very well at this point, zoonotic diseases come from animals, um, impacts on the community, and uh, proposes an alternate framework of horticultural therapy, which gives uh, people who are incarcerated actually probably better and more marketable skills when they leave that environment and are able to reintegrate in society. So I urge people to check it out. Uh, Super interesting. And I'm hoping that we can get some of the authors on the show in the future to discuss this in more detail. But for now, I think they just deserve some recognition for this really well thought out document. Yeah, Evolve Our Prison Farms. They've been uh, relentless advocates uh, against this issue. And uh, I'm I'm glad that we're going to be able to talk to them further, hopefully. All right. Now time for zero. (laughs) 
our zero this week, uh, I think, is is one who's been a zero many times on this show, right, Camille? I'm sure. I can't remember specifically, but yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure. So uh, this week's zero is the dairy industry for still trying to make February a thing. So as as I'm sure many of you know, since about 2018, February the hashtag uh, has been used. It was it was created as sort of a direct rebuttal to Veganuary uh, as the dairy industry started to get upset uh, that that people weren't eating dairy for a month and so February became a month to promote all things dairy um, as expected in recent years the hashtag and trend has been completely overtaken by animal advocates plant-based food advocates uh, and thankfully it has now a lot of the times become a month to instead promote plant-based dairy alternatives to shine a light on what makes dairy so cruel so um, negatively impactful upon the environment and unhealthy and yet they still continue year after year trying to make February a thing. So our zero goes to the dairy industry. Just give it up. <laughs> Just give it up. Just give it up. No one wants your no one wants your dairy. Stop trying to make February dairy happen. It's not gonna happen. It's not gonna happen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and there we have it. One of our frequent punching bags, the dairy industry, back in the headlines. Yes, thanks for being there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jess. Well, I think that was a fun episode. Yeah, I think that does it for us this week. All right, listeners, until next time. Bye. We'd like to thank our listeners for tuning in today. We'd love to ask you to subscribe to the Pawn Order podcast using Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or your other favorite podcatcher. Also, please leave a rating because it helps more people find the show. And if you can, please tell other listeners to share the podcast so more people can hear us. You can also consider supporting us on our Patreon page, patreon.com slash order if you like what you hear. You can find me on Twitter at, at Peter Sankoff or at my website, petersankoff.com. You can find me on Twitter at Jess L. Reed. And you can find me on Twitter at, at Camille Lavchuk, that's L-A-B-C-H-U-K. And we always enjoy Twitter conversations about the show or any other animal law or political topics. And finally, we'd like to thank our producer, Shannon Milling. See you next time on Paw and Order. For more great iRaw podcasts, visit iRawPod.com. That's I-R-O-A-R-P-O-D.com. Ah!